0: Today, that you would speak to us through the power of your word, that God you would uh, be honored and glorified in what we have to say. And God, really, the reality would be that you would change our hearts, that you would mold us and make us into what you want us to be. That God is maybe some have come in with heavy burdens, heavy struggles, doubts, difficulties. God, even complications in relationships. God, we know that all of those relationships are meant to point to you. And so, Father, may our relationships be revived, be refreshed, be renewed through the power of your word, that God, you would change our hearts towards people and that God, you would be honored and glorified in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, Connor, Darren. You guys are, sounds good every week. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing in that, and I know my wife, I know O'Connor, I know the, the point is not to draw attention to him, but at the same time, it's nice to have uh, people who can lead us literally to the throne of, of God's uh, grace, really to the throne of God to really put us in connection with him and prepare, uh, prepare us for, for what he wants to speak. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going Genesis chapter 2. Now... This is always one of those ones, I always do this every year, February time frame, we kind of look at getting into relationships. Last year, we really spent like one week on marriage, uh, and then the rest just had to deal with other relationships within the family, relationships at work, and things like that. But I want to, we're going to focus more this year on rehabbing your relationships, we're going to focus on that marriage, we're going to focus on dating, we're going to do a number of things like that. But I want you to think about this, and I've heard it said Multiple times by different people, that marriage is like flies on a screen door. Those that are in, one out, and those that are out, one in. And I don't understand that, but <laughs> okay, all right. You may be in a tough situation. Maybe you're in a marriage that's just hard. Maybe there's difficulty, maybe there's problems, maybe there's, you know, a a different sense of direction on where you're going. Maybe you're married to an unbeliever who has different viewpoints about how you're supposed to raise your kids. Maybe you just have a lot of complications. Maybe your husband or wife is a workaholic. Maybe you feel like your wife neglects you. Maybe you feel like your husband talks too much or doesn't talk enough. Maybe you feel like your wife talks too much and gives you too many things to do. I don't know where you're at, all right? But I do know the fact that rehabbing your relationships is always vitally important in our lives, all right? Matter of fact, our sermon series is called Fixer Upper. My wife actually came up with the title because I was having a hard time trying to think of what to do. She said, hey, how about Fixer Upper? And for those of you who know anything about HGTV, there's a show by Chip and Joanna Gaines called Fixer Upper where they're basically taking in um, clients who are looking for homes, all right? And these clients, like they got these big, huge, long lists, and they're like, man, we really want all this. And But Chip and Joanna basically take them to these homes that are decrepit, some of them worn down, disgusting, awfully ugly. They're just torturous homes, and you know they're like, this is what we could do, and they got this great plan, this great idea, and so they'll take these couples into these homes, and then they'll say, hey, this is what we could do to either one of these homes, and the couples will pick then. Well, we, we want this home, or we want... This home, and then they fix them up. So they buy the home cheaper, and then they go in and spend the money and they fix it up and they call it fixer upper. And the truth of the matter is this I think in every relationship in your life, in some way, shape, or form, you have a fixer upper. You have something that, after time, if not taken care of, if not invested, if not cared for and loved and encouraged, even if not. If there's no money spent on that, it becomes or falls into disrepair, disgust. It becomes ugly sometimes. And so what I want you to think about is this. The point of this sermon series, Fixer Upper, is not to change your spouse. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait a second. (laughs) Darn it. You know, it's not, it's, it's to literally let God fix you up to fix you up in what he wants to do. And so we're going to dig in to that because the reality is this. I think we're all in different stages of a relationship. Some of you have been married or were married for years and have lost a loved one. Some of you have been married and divorced. Others have been married for years and you still have your loved one and you're like, I've been with him for 52, so why would I quit now? You know, I don't know what that is, okay? All right. But we're all in different stages. Some of you have never been married. You have a plan to get married, but it's just not right now. And you're like, why would I even want to be a fly to get into that? I'm not even at that point yet. All right, so we're going to jump into those and we're going to ask those things. So why do so many people who get married with good intentions end so disastrously? Because that's really what it seems like. Matter of fact, the longer we've been married, the more I realize, and I say that, the longer I've been in ministry, the more I realize that how many people who have been married stay married while their kids are together or in the family or in the house, and then the minute the kids leave, they're gone. And that's actually one of the fastest growing segments of divorce uh, in the world right now is the fact that people who have been married for like 20 years saw their kids graduate high school and then said, hey, you know what, kids are done, we're out of here. And, and, and so we're going to jump into that. We're going to try and look at why do so many end so disastrously? Why, why is there such a bad connotation towards marriage in today's world? Why do people look at it and go, hey, I really don't want that do, to deal with that. I don't want to have those problems. Why are there so many who are living in a marriage that is miserable and struggling? And we all know the truth is this, that misery loves company, right? I mean, I've been in multiple conversations with people, and maybe, maybe you have too. Maybe you have those friends that I'm, I'm sitting around, you know, maybe like for me, even with softball, I can, I can go and play softball, and I've explained my softball things. I played in three leagues this last summer. Two of them are with guys that people don't, that don't go to church. It's just I've built relationships with these guys at softball fields and stuff like that. They're like, hey, you want to play? I'm like, sure. A matter of fact, I can even say, uh, <laughs> I got a text this last week. I told Sarah... Uh, they're wanting to do the team meeting before the season to make sure everything's good. And they're like, hey, we're meeting at Twin Peaks at 8.30 this night. Well, I was like, well, number one, I'm not going there. But second of all, my son has basketball practice at that time. <laughs> so, but that's the kind of guys I play softball with. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because when I get out to that softball field, there are comments and things made by those guys who I know are married that just does not reflect my relationship with my wife. And so I know that there are people who walk through marriage with this idea that misery loves company, and that I just got to suck it up, and I just got to get through this miserable existence of this marriage and just try and survive. And what I want us to understand is this, that marriage can be great. Marriage can be exciting. Marriage can be fun. But I think a lot of times we get misled by the theology of marriage in culture. Something like this. Marriage is the only war in which you sleep with the enemy. Or in the famous words of Al Bundy, for those of you who are old, Al Bundy was in the show called Married with Children uh, when I was growing up. And he says, marriage is like insurance. You pay, you pay, you pay, and you never get anything back. Or Jerry Seinfeld, who says, marriage is like a game of chess. Except the board is flowing water, the pieces are made of smoke, and no move you make will have any effort on the outcome. And what I want you to see is this, I think that marriage is more, or is about more than your happiness. Because I believe that marriage was designed by God and defined by God. And so when we think about this idea of fixer-upper, wherever your stage or the stage you're at in a relationship process, I want you to think about this, that marriage is much like that fixer-upper show, that it takes effort, it takes time, it takes work, it's Two people who have different ideas about what they want sometimes in life, who come together under the bigger purpose of what God has in store for them, to come together to love each other, to forgive each other, to move on, and to build, listen to me, to build a family, to build a relationship that is God-honoring, that everybody can look at and go, man, do you imagine, remember what that was like? And look at it now. Look at how nice that is. Look at how great that is. See, I believe marriage isn't much like this. And here's the thing about it. When, we, when we've watched that show Fixer Upper, they always present a plan. I told you about this. They kind of present these ideas. Usually it's a computer-generated uh, thing. It's like, look at what this living room could look like. They're knocking out walls, and they're, they're fixing all these great things, and it's, it's so great. But they enter in with a plan. When they go into the process of rehabbing or fixing up that house, they enter with a plan. They don't just go, "Hey, we're just going to gut everything and well, we'll just wing it when we get there." Because that's what a lot of people do in marriage. Just like, "We'll just wing it when we get there. You know, once we get married, then we'll deal with all the problems." All right? Once we get married, then we'll deal with the issues and the struggles and the discussions and things like that. But so what starts out as the ideal in marriage turns into an ordeal. And then somebody wants a new deal. See, if you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, then you got to do things differently. If you don't want to date like the majority of people who date, you got to date differently. If you don't want a marriage that looks like every other marriage, then we stop doing what every other marriage is doing, and we start focusing and doing things differently differently. I think one of the biggest struggles is we got away from what God intended in the first place, and we started becoming very selfish, self-centered, and focused. A matter of fact, Andy Stanley, pastor in Georgia, says this, falling in love requires a pulse, while staying in love requires a plan. And the question is this, are you planning to fail or failing to plan? Because if you're planning to fail, then just don't plan for your marriage. Don't plan in the relationships. Don't prepare for what you're going to face. Look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 18 through verse 25. Listen to what it says. The Lord God said it is not what? It's not good for man to be alone. I will make, Or matter of fact, if you like to underline, highlight, circle, do whatever you want, I will make a circle, big, as big as you can, helper, suitable for him. I think too many people approach marriage as not as a helper, but as a servant. Whether that's wife to husband or husband to wife, a lot of times they're like, oh, great, I got a servant now who's going to do everything for me. I've been amazed. I've been to people's house and they're like, hey, can you do this? As they're sitting down doing nothing. And I'm kind of like, you could have got up and done that yourself, you know? But anyways, I'm not going to go there. I've been guilty of it before. My wife's giving me the cross look like... <laughs> So anyways, verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to man to see what he had named them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, He took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, Now, and he brought her to the man. And then man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called, whoa, man, because she's hotter than me. (laughs) Oh, that doesn't say that, right? For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave, listen, leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. And so, here's what I want you to begin to understand, and we're going to dig into this over the next couple weeks. We're not just going to settle with Genesis, but I want you to understand, and if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that marriage is God's gift for man. Take out that A. I didn't proofread my slide. Marriage is God's gift for man, God's plan, all right? Remember when we talked about the plans with Fixed Rapper? Marriage is God's plan for man in order to provide a helper to carry out God's plan for the couple, okay? We begin to see this, that marriage was God's plan right from the get-go. Marriage was established, matter of fact, in the past, I've said this in our church, marriage was actually the first institution before, guess what, the church, before your kids. And so the marriage should always be primary first. And in my world, in the midst of a world in where we run rampant and chaotic at times with all the stuff the kids do, the marriage has to be first. And I think one of the struggles most parents face today is this. The reason why we end up having divorces after the kids leave the house is because you've fallen out of love with the person you fell in love with not because you can actually fall out of love, but because you've put other priorities above that person. Does that make sense? This idea of falling out of love to me is like clueless, all right? Because the person you love, if we love based upon the way Jesus loves us and what he calls us to do when husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, is an unconditional love. It's not based upon a kid living in my house. It's not based upon how my wife responds to me or how my husband responds to me. It's an unconditional love that I love them regardless. Baggage and all. Problems and all. Difficulties and all. Pride and all. Everything. So marriage is God's gift or God's plan for man in order to provide a helper to carry out God's plan for the couple. So what's the plan for a good marriage? That's my question. What's the plan for a good marriage? Number one, all right? I believe that marriage must reflect God's purpose. (laughs) It's got to be about what God's plan. Marriage is God's plan. Marriage reflects God's purpose. Listen to what he says. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, what? Suitable for him. Marriage reflects God's purpose first and foremost. See, companionship in marriage is God's gift to replace isolation and loneliness and to meet our deep longing for a close, intimate, personal relationship with somebody else. Matter of fact, statistically they say married people are healthier, happier, make more money, live longer, have better sex lives. That's pretty good in and of itself. But anyways, all right. If you do it right... And the reality is this so many times we look at that three letter word and we like, oh my gosh, he just said that word in, in church. But the reality is this was that God's plan and purpose from the get go? Yes. And so that's a benefit of a marriage relationship. And it only gets better when you love the person instead of just giving into a physical desire. And what I'm worried about in so many ways, shapes, or forms is a lot of times we give into this physical desire that is absent of love and is taking place within the life or a context of a relationship with people that we're never going to love. And that's one of the things we see running rampant amongst teenagers and even those who aren't married right now, is that when we do something that's taken out of context, we do something out of the context for which it was originally intended, I think we spoil everything. And we miss the fun that God intended in the first place, the joy that God intended in the first place. So anything used out of context will always be wrong. But God designed marriage as the first social institution. We already said that. He designed marriage to be the first system of interdependent relationships, and he designed the marriage as the first relationship of the family. So we focus on that. Marriage must reflect God's purpose, that I have a helper suitable for me, for him, Man was alone, and he needed a helper suitable for him. And so husbands, I just want to challenge you. Do you look at your wife as a helpmate or a slave? Do you look at a wife who could be somebody who's suitable, who helps you and encourages you by encouraging them as well? Or do you talk down to them? Do you build them up? Do you love them? Do you encourage them? Do you pray for them? Or do you just treat them like a piece of property? Because the reality is, a lot of times, that's what ends up happening. See, it takes a lifelong commitment. It takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes investment. It's a lot like buying a house, right? You can buy a house and live in it and not do anything to it. What's going to happen over time? It's going to fall apart. It's going to deteriorate. Your marriage relationship is the same way. You bought it. In other words, you're paying for it together. (laughs) All right? It may be good or bad. I don't know. Whatever, you know. But you paid for that relationship. And if you neglect that relationship, what's going to happen over time? It's going to deteriorate. It's going to fall apart. So understand that marriage reflects God's purpose first and foremost. That man would not be alone that man would have a helper suitable for him. And listen what he says. We're going to jump down to verse 24 because in verse 20 we see that for Adam there was no suitable helper after he's named him. But I want you to jump down to verse 24. And he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. See, sometimes getting married is like getting a phone call in the middle of the night. First you get a ring and then you wake up. I, I'm serious. That's, you can't get that. you got to laugh. Come on. It's like getting a phone call in the middle of the night. First you get a ring, and then you wake up. And that's what a lot of times do. It's like, yeah, I got the ring now that I wake up to the reality. A lot of people do that. There's like this fake side, and then there's the real side. The fake side is my problem, or my person the, the person I'm dating has no problems, no struggles, no difficulties. We carry on this great facade of fakeness. Right? And then we get married, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, who are you? It's like I woke up next to somebody who, that's not the person I was dating. That's not the person that I have known for the last, you know, six, nine, 12 months, three years, whatever. I don't know. Like it seems like more and more people are waiting longer and longer, dating longer and longer before they get married. But God's purpose is first and foremost. See, remember this that God provides a helper suitable for Him. And so I want to ask you this. Maybe you're not married. Are you praying for a helper? Or are you looking to somebody who's going to meet your needs? Are you praying for a helper? Are you trying to find somebody who's going to fill the voids that you feel empty in? Because the truth of the matter is this, that you and I were not meant to complete another individual. It was never intended that way. We were to be be complete in and of ourselves in Christ because Christ completes us first and foremost. So marriage must reflect God's purpose. Number two, marriage must or should build a sacred space of loyalty and trust. What does it take to earn trust? A lot. Time, right? I mean, you can spend years building trust and it only takes what? A second for trust to be gone. And then to trust that person again, what's it take? It's going to take time again. But listen to what he says in verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be what? United to his wife. Matter of fact, I think the the King James Version says cleave. Leave and cleave is one of those old ideas. I left and I'm now joined to this person. a matter of fact, when we think about this, this marriage building a sacred space of loyalty and trust, a lot of times what we have to understand is that a man should leave his mommy and daddy, right? Or a wife, when you cleave to your husband, leaves your mommy and daddy. In other words, you don't go running to mom and dad for problems. You take care of those problems in that relationship in and of himself. And look, I know we have a lot of people who have been married for years, and you're like, you're talking to me about going to my mom and dad. They're not even alive anymore. But I want you to understand this. I believe it goes beyond that even. Do you leave other people to cleave to your husband and wife? In other words, I've seen too many people who got to run to somebody else and start talking to them about their husband and wife. They go to them to fix their problems. Or maybe in today's culture, it would be something like this. When you find that one that you're supposed to marry, or you are committed to that one you are married to, are you walking away from the very relationships that maybe you shouldn't be involved in? Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's Twitter, maybe it's something going on on the side at work, maybe it's something like that. The idea is this, that I leave the relationships I had in the past to cleave to my husband or wife, all right? In other words, those relationships are no longer primary. My first and foremost relationship is with Christ. My second relationship is with my wife or my husband. I've got to get out of those relationships that are not there anymore, and I should be focusing on the relationship with my wife. Too many people want to kind of fiddle fool around on social media instead of getting out of the system. And look, this is one of those things that I, you know the older people are like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. The younger people do. Do you know one of the top hookup places now? Darn Skippy. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They actually said that's the number one reason for most affairs now. People hooking up, talking, they start talking on the internet, they start talking on social media, they start talking on Twitter, and next thing you know, they got something going on. That's the number one cause of affairs in today's relationships. And so my question would be is this, if that is you, if that's a struggle that you have, get the heck out of social media. Get off of that program. Get out of that system. You've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to learn to cleave or be united with your wife. See, a man leaving his mom and dad or a woman leaving her mother and father is this idea that they are coming together. They are no longer, even though you are a part of that family, they're no longer a primary focus, but the focus is now who? Your spouse. And so marriage builds a sacred space of loyalty and trust. See, I'll never forget, and you're going to make it sound, this is going to sound really bad. Uh, No, it, it will sound very bad. Matter of fact, my wife and I have only, we tell a couple people this, but you should always leave your relationships with other people that you dated in the past. It's gone. It's over. Never a chance. And my wife and I were down in Alabama visiting my sister. And Sarah remembers this. We hadn't been married, what, probably a year We were just talking, this is stupidity. I'm going to reflect stupidity. We were laying in bed. We were talking about what would happen, and I think I brought it up even. What would happen if you made different choices in life? Like, and I brought up this. I said, man, if I would have stayed in the Navy, who knows where I would have lived? I would have never met you. And I said, I probably would have married this one girl. Oh, I definitely... (laughs) Anyway, let me clarify that, and it was on, and I was like, oh, crud, and I mean, like I said, we were married one year, it was just one of those things, and I was just thinking about different decisions, but then I said these words, and it turned into a knockdown, I was like, I mean, you could tell, it was the cold shoulder, it's like, I'm not talking to you, and I was like, I just screwed up, I made the biggest mistake, (laughs) I haven't been married a year, I've made it, oh my gosh, what did I do? And I mean, I wasn't even talking to that girl anymore, but I just said that statement. And what I want you to understand is when you're in a relationship with your spouse, then those things got to be put aside. And while that may sound stupid, it's just one of those things that can be a, a foothold for Satan to use in your relationship with your wife or your spouse. So you must be able to trust, to safely trust in your mate. And trust is earned over a lifetime. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. you know what that idea united means? Together. That means forever. It's an idea of literally, literally walking away to walk into something better. And it's not that you don't value mom and dad. It's not that you don't value other people. But you're walking away from a good thing into the great thing that God intended marriage to be. Because that was his plan, his purpose from the beginning. That you would have a helper suitable for you. See, marriage is a covenant that requires commitment. And commitment takes more than just chemistry. It takes a commitment to love a person, to forgive a person, to build and invest in that person over and over and over again. It's something that when they're down, I can pick them up. When I'm down, they can pick me up. When I struggle with decisions, they can help me make a wise decision. Those are all things that we walk through that we have to begin to understand. And so marriage, it builds a sacred space of loyalty and trust. And here's the question. If you're married, I want to ask you this. Are you guarding that sacred space of loyalty and trust? Are you doing everything you can? to protect the trust and the loyalty and faithfulness you have in your spouse? Are you doing it to guard yourself? Or are you setting yourself up for failure? And the reason why I bring that up is this. Trust is earned over a lifetime and can be lost just like that. And you have to learn to guard that sacred space of loyalty and trust. And that's why That's why I say things like this, ladies, don't take this wrong. I will never meet with you in my office by myself. You're never getting in the car with just me, all right? So don't take it personal. You're a woman, I'm a man. I'm just protecting that sacred space between my wife, that she trusts me, that I can let her know that I'm doing everything I can to guard myself. And let me even go one step further. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's pornography on the internet. Maybe it's a magazine or maybe it's movies that you can access just very simply on on on-demand. Are you guarding that sacred trust of loyalty and faithfulness? Or are you doing everything you can to screw it up? Are you trying to hide things from your wife or from your husband? You've got to guard that sacred space of loyalty and trust. And you have got to do whatever it takes to put the checks and balances in place And I've said this before, I still stand by this. My wife has parental controls set up on our TV that I don't know the combo to. I'm dead serious. You want to know why? Because I want that guard up, that sacred trust. Look, I don't want to be the one who my wife comes home and goes, why would you watch this movie? Uh, I gave in to temptation. Look, I know, I know a man, I know, I know how a male brain works. And a male brain works on physicality and looks. And 99.999999% I'm going to give you that one millionth of a person who says, oh, I'm just not attracted to women like that. 99% of men, all they got to do is see something and they're like stuck. So my wife has the parental control set up and anything over a certain rating um, or anything that's got adult content in it. And trust me, this has been a nightmare at times. When the Royals were playing on TBS in the playoffs, ask her how many times I woke her up because the game was going longer and the guide would all of a sudden come up with like a parental control part and my iPad would shut off in the middle of sleeping. You know, she's asleep, and I'm watching the iPad the Royals game, and it would go, poof, parental controlled. And I'm like, ah! And I would like, you got to enter the parental control. The Royals are on, and I'm going to miss the end of the game. And she'd be like, oh, my gosh. You seriously woke me up? I'm like, yes, it's the Royals game. (laughs) But I've set those guards up so that I would not be trapped by those things. All right? So guard that. You've got to learn to do it. Number three is this. All right? If I want a marriage that's going to grow, I want a relationship that's going to be strong. It's going to be Christ-centered. It's going to reflect God's purpose. It's going to guard that sacred space of loyalty. But I also want you to understand this. How or what is the plan for a good marriage? Number three, I think, is this. That marriage unites two unique individuals. And that's what we started to talk about. But I want you to see what takes place. It says in the father and mother, they will leave father and mother, be united to his wife, and it will become what? One. One flesh. You know, I've called this that in the past. We can call it God's math. Some people call it fuzzy math, all right? But in God's economy, in God's relational standard, you take one person, unique Created by him with their own gifts, their own personalities. They're they're already complete in what Christ has done in them. And you take another one who's complete, unique, perfect. And God says, hey, these one plus one equals one. And you go, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. It does. It makes perfect sense because that's what God intended in the beginning. Two unique individuals, complete, because Christ has already completed them. God has already accomplished everything that he came for. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to make you a complete person, to experience life and life more abundantly. And I want you to understand this, if you're single, that singleness is not a curse. Too many people look at singleness as a curse. If that's the case, then Jesus and Paul were the greatest failures in all of humanity. You ever thought about that? Jesus never got married. Paul never got married. If we look at singleness as a curse, then we look at Jesus and Paul as failures. But what I want you to understand is this. Singleness is not a curse. You are complete in and of yourself because Jesus has already accomplished everything that you needed to be accomplished. But he also knows that you need a helper suitable and that marriage is a perfect picture of a husband and wife coming together to reflect the glory of God, the gospel. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for him, husbands will love their wives and give themselves for them. And so when you're looking at this, I want you to think and understand that God takes two unique individuals and makes them one, And I always say this, I said this to our students over and over and over again, that your goal should be to find the person who is running the hardest and fastest after Jesus and run alongside them. That as they're chasing after Jesus and you're chasing after Jesus, that God brings your two hearts together. And I feel this wholeheartedly that too many people settle in a relationship. It's like, I'm never gonna get the good one. I'm never gonna find anybody better i'm always going to be stuck with these types of people or i never find the right girl i'm never going to find the right guy he's always going to be somebody who's after me for my body or my looks and and he's never focused on jesus and let me tell you this while men are very physical and don't get me wrong i think women are very physical as well that if you are chasing after jesus personally and they're chasing after Jesus, God will bring you together. I mean, how else could he take a girl from Indiana and a guy from Wyoming, have a meet in New Mexico, get married in Indiana, move to Missouri? Last I checked, that's a God thing. Because when we tell everybody their story, our story, they're like, what? Are you kidding me? So you were living in Wyoming? No, I was living in Missouri. I was out in Wyoming working for my dad that summer. I decided to go to a camp in New Mexico where the Indiana group from New Mexico went, where the college pastor who was up in Wyoming decided, hey, let's stay with the Indiana group who's from Indiana because I went to Indiana State and so we met in New Mexico. Do you get the picture? That's like a God-sized task that we can sit back and go, oh, what the heck? You just confused me. Good, I hope it confused you. Because God can work out his plan. How else does a man from Independence, Missouri meet a woman from Brazil who had never been to the United States? That's a God sized thing, am I correct? Marriage is a God sized thing, and oftentimes we go, Oh, God, I'll trust you with everything, but guess what? Marriage, you know what? I'm gonna kinda take it into my own hands. Marriage reflects God's purpose, marriage builds a sacred trust and a loyalty, and marriage unites two unique individuals. And so when you think that you can fulfill another person's need, then you set them up and yourself up for failure right from the get-go. Because God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish in each individual's life and brings the two together. And so I want you to think about it this way. A lot of times when you're looking for a house, if you've ever been looking for a house... You pull up in a house, you're like, man, this house looks awesome on the outside. And you get inside, and you realize it's got a lot of problems. Matter of fact, some of the houses we looked at when we came here, uh, you could definitely tell it was a flipper. You know what I mean, right? Like, somebody had done some work to cover up a lot of flaws, but me, you're not pulling that over on me. Like, I look at details. I look at intricacies. And if you're going to cut the small stuff... I know you cut the big stuff. I know you didn't do things right. I know you skipped bigger processes. You threw some paint over some problems instead of fixing the main issue. And a lot of times, that's how we approach marriage. See, have you ever thought about this? A lot of times, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? We always look at that. Oh, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. That person's got a great relationship. That's got a great marriage. Well, there's Two ways to look at it. Actually, there's three ways to look at it. Number one, that grass could be fake. May not even be real grass in the first place. Number two, that grass could be cared for intended. In other words, the person who owns that property waters it, nourishes it, provides fertilizer, loves it, cares for it. Number three, that grass, it could just be the septic tank leaking. And I say that because my parents have a septic tank and they live in Wyoming that gets like between seven and 17 inches of rain total a year, moisture a year, more closer to the seven inches. When you pull up to my parents' house, they've got four really green stripes across this really brown prairie grass in Wyoming. And you know right where the septic system is <laughs> because it's always green, is it not? I mean, it's like, I mean, you can't brown, like the color of the pews, to green, like just bright green, nourishing. And you can look at it and you could go, man, what's up with that grass? That's really nice right there. Well, the truth is, that's where the septic tank leaches out into the field. And so it's easy to look at things and often go, man, that's a great relationship. That's, that's so much better if I had that person or if I had those things. But the reality is this, that your relationships will only be as good as you're nurtured and cared for. As you plan to succeed in that relationship, that you pour love and encouragement and nutrients and investment and time and compassion and effort into that relationship, it grows stronger, more fertile, greener, more healthy, not dry, not given to a fire. When the pressure comes from the outside, when the heat breaks down from the sun, it will thrive rather than die. Why? Because my relationship should be built on God first. Why? Because God's plan or purpose is perfect. That my sacred trust and loyalty to my spouse would not be violated or broken. And that my relationship would thrive. Why? Because two people become one. And that reflects the very nature with God, with which God has. See, a great marriage relationship is not about being the right one. Or not about meeting the right one, sorry. It's about being the right one first and foremost. And so the point of marriage is not to make you happy by giving you a perfect soulmate, is to make you holy by teaching you to love a person with flaws, sins, weaknesses, and baggage, just like you have, that Jesus died for just like he died for you. That's the reflection of a good marriage. And so here's what I did. You guys got sheets of paper as you came in. I'm going to try and start doing that even with every sermon, not not just the marriage ones. But I want to leave you with some questions, and if you're married, then I want you to go home and and ask yourself these questions together. It might cause some conflict, might cause some struggle. Number one is our marriage reflecting God's plan. Does my marriage reflect our relationship with God? Do, have we left others for the sake of each other? Not just mom and dad. For some of you, it's like ah, I left mom and dad a long time ago. Have you left others for the sake of your marriage? In other words, if there's an unhealthy relationship that you have with somebody else of the opposite sex, then you need to get the heck out of it. And that may include pornography. Number three, have I been investing in my relationship with Christ first and with my spouse second? How can I pray for you and help you in that area? That's what you need to ask your spouse. Am I investing in my relationship with my spouse or with Christ first and with my spouse second? And then how can I pray for you? And number four. Am I allowing something else to water my yard? Is there something in your marriage that you're letting feed that marriage instead of something else? Instead of God feeding that relationship, are you allowing something else to do that? Matter of fact, this is where I bring up that pornography issue again. Did you know that I read this statistic not too long ago, it's like 67% of marriages now feel it's appropriate to view pornography together to strengthen the marriage. It blew my mind. And what I want to challenge you with is this. If that's what you run to to strengthen your marriage, it's always going to fail. Because husbands, you're setting your wife up to make it be like, that's what you have to be in order to please me. And wives, you're setting yourself up to fail as well. Because you're trying to look at your husband as something he's not ever going to be. So that's the marriage side. If you're single... All right, here's, here's what I want to give you if you're single. Are you praying for your future mate? Your helper who was suitable. Listen, and I put in parentheses there, no settling. Quit settling. I got sick and tired of girls coming into my office when I was a youth pastor and telling me, this is the best I got. And I'm sitting there going, you're not waiting on God. You're not waiting on him to deliver. You're just trying to force the hand that's been dealt to you is kind of that mentality. Like, okay, well, I guess I better do it because I'm not going to get any better. Quit settling. When you settle in a marriage relationship, you're telling God you're settling in everything else. Wait. Don't settle. Pray for your future mate. Don't stay. Listen, do not stay with others who have, you have no intent to marry. And you need to ask yourself, am I staying with this person even though I have no intent to marry him? One of the greatest things I, I did, and now it wasn't necessarily by plan uh, as, as a high school, college, Navy guy. But one of the greatest things I did was the minute I knew that person was not the marriage partner, they were gone. And I, I I'm not trying to speak in a callous way, all right? In a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that says I have no heart, all right? I do have heart, contrary to belief on some people, all right? I do have a heart, okay? But when I knew that that was over, it was over. I wasn't like, well, you know, I got to have a girlfriend, so if that person was not the one I wasn't going to marry, it was gone. That's why I never dated anybody longer than two months till I met my wife. I didn't drag things out. Sorry, you're not the one I'm marrying. We're over. Well, and I remember multiple girls. Can we give it another chance? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'd rather be alone and know I'm alone doing what God's done than be with somebody knowing that you're not the person I'm supposed to be with. So are you doing that? Don't stay with others. You have no intent to marry. Number three, what are you doing to protect the unity, the loyalty and trust that you will experience in your future marriage? And I put in sex, but I want you to think about this. Are you violating with pornography, with movies and things right now? Because if you are, it's just going to happen when you're married. It's not going to change. It's not like, oh, hey, guess what? I struggle with pornography now, but when I get married, I'm not. No, that's the biggest lie you'll ever have. What are you doing to guard the loyalty and trust of your future mate right now that you need to be doing when you're married as well? Do not give in to things you're not supposed to be doing now and expect your marriage to be better because the baggage is only going to get worse once you get married. That's when the baggage car pulls up, right? You get married It's like getting to the airport. You kind of pull in. You don't see all the baggage on the airplane when you're flying, do you? And then you go to the baggage claim line, and all of a sudden it's like, wait wait a second, good night, how much baggage you got? I don't have a car big enough to carry all this stuff. All right? You got to realize there's baggage in every relationship, and it's going to come out when the marriage comes. All right? So learn that. Learn from the get-go. Let's pray. We're going to close in the song and I hope, I, I really pray that, that as we do this, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be challenged not to settle, that your marriage would take off maybe in a different direction. Maybe you've become callous or careless with the marriage relationship lately. Maybe you've neglected your spouse. Let's pray. We're going to close in a song. Don't forget, we'll have a business meeting right afterwards. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that challenges us. God that we would not enter marriage without a plan or a purpose, but God that we would be able to understand that your plan and purpose is first and foremost, that God we would honor and glorify you in our marriage relationships and in every relationship, whether it's dating right now, maybe nobody maybe there's some here who aren't dating. But God that every relationship we have, we could honor you through those. that we would be one. Complete in Christ first and foremost because as we come together in a marriage relationship, you take two people completely unique and gifted and complete and you make them one. So Father, may we be the people who are being fixed up by you